is Alicia Christian, and welcome to the Eating Me Podcast. Hey, y'all. It's Alicia, and welcome back to another episode on the Eating Me Podcast. And happy Black History Month. I'm so excited to share this month with you all on the podcast and provide some amazing conversations for you all. I have been blessed to know and meet some extraordinary people um, on this journey and in the process of, of preparing for Black History Month. I have just had an amazing time having some awesome conversations with some extraordinary people. And so you all are in for a treat this month. You're always in for a treat. I, you know, my, I pride myself in having amazing people on the podcast. Beautiful energy is what I want to provide you all. And so I continue on this journey with sharing that this month with some amazing people who provide so much knowledge. I mean, a wealth of knowledge is being shared with us this month. And so... So, you know, hold on to, is it hold on to your hats? Is that what it is? Hold on to your hats. Buckle up, as they say, for some awesome conversations. In the process of me preparing for this month, I was like thinking, okay, who would be the person that would start off this month and really get everybody just ready to learn about African culture? Black culture, uh, as it relates to spirituality, as it relates to eating and food. And there was one person that came to mind instantaneously, I can talk instantaneously, and it was none other than Ia Dr. Funayo Wood. She and I have known each other for a very long time, and I was so honored that she said yes <laughs> to be the first person to kick off Black History Month with us this month. And, you know, this is definitely not going to be the last time she comes on the podcast. You will see why. She has a wealth of knowledge. She's so gracious and just a beautiful spirit all around. So let me share with you all it's a little bit about Ia Funlaya Wood. Uh, she is affectionately known as your favorite scholar priestess, is, and she's the founder and spiritual leader of Ile Ashe Ire Incorporated. Uh, she's the founding director of the African and Diasporic Religious Studies Association and the founding dean of Ashe Ire Communal University. She is an initiated priestess in the Ifa Orisha tradition and South Carolina and Virginia descended Hoodoo who earned her PhD in African and African-American studies and religion at Harvard University. A dedicated public scholar, Ia Funlayo lectures frequently. Her work has been published in scholarly and popular venues, and she has appeared in documentaries for PBS and the National Geographic Channel. All of her information on how to connect with her will be in the show notes. Y'all, this conversation was so rich and so beautiful. I can't wait. So without further ado, please welcome Ia Dr. Fulayo Wood. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Edomy podcast. Happy Black History Month. And this is actually our first Monday of Black History Month. So I'm really excited to start off Black History Month with someone that is like near and dear to my heart. And I asked her, uh, actually, we were talking one day and I was like, I know that you actually um, completed your, it was your, this, your dissertation, correct? Yes, yes. Um, on the cola bean. And I was like, this sounds so interesting. And I was like, I, beyond us talking about it, you know, in the setting that we were in, I was like, let's talk about this on the podcast if you're cool with it. So I have the amazing Ian, Dr. Foon Lyo Wood here on the podcast. And I am just beyond excited. So thank you so much for being here today and sharing all the knowledge with us today because this is going to be beyond a treat for not just me but everyone that's listening oh absolutely it's an honor to be with you alicia you know you're just like so wonderful and and a joy to be around a joy to listen to and um us you know uh alto voiced women gotta (laughs) stick together right so i love that we're like on frequency yeah and i'm just i'm so happy to be here with you I, I am like I like I said I am just beyond excited and you know before we actually hit record obviously we were talking because that's just what people do right <laughs> so sure. got to we were right exactly right let's gonna catch up with one another you know and so I was asking about your name and so I just want you to you know explain your name and then just everything about like the meaning of it because it's so special. Thank you. You know, again, thank you so much for having me. I am Ia Dr. Funlayo Wood, affectionately known as your favorite scholar priestess. And so my name touches on those two aspects of my being. Ia is a title that means mother. And so it indicates my status as a priestess in the Ifa Arisha tradition. And then, of course, doctor talks about the PhD and um, those studies. And so um, I was initiated as a priestess in the Ifa Arisha tradition. It'll be 15 years this year in June. And um, I received my PhD in African and African American studies and religion from Harvard. Uh, It'll be six years ago this year. And so um, my whole thing is to bring together scholarship, spirit, and service, and to really um, both practice as well as teach publicly and in my community about African spirituality. And of course, a big part of African spirituality, which people don't realize, food is a huge part of African spiritual practice. So I'm excited to get to talk to you about food. As you mentioned, I did my dissertation on the kola nut. And although I was focusing on it more in the spiritual context, because we do use it for ritual purposes, Mm -hmm. it's a very important food item. It in fact is the basis for one of the most popular food items in the world, that being Coca-Cola. And so the cola nut was the original source of caffeine in all of the drinks that are called cola. And so they were actually intended to be health tonics because the cola nut has um, health, you know, uh, things, blood cleansing properties and different properties in it. And um, so I, you know, as I was doing the work, although, like I said, I was focusing on it from a spiritual perspective, I couldn't help but also learn about the food perspective of it as well. And so I'm excited to talk about that and everything else we're going to talk about. 
That is so interesting. So it's like, because I definitely wanted to talk about the spiritual aspect because I know you have, um, that t- remind me again of the um, the practice again. I'm so sorry. Ifa, it's called Ifa or Risha. So. so if you could give us like a, a base, like a, a really simple like explanation, because even myself, I'm not, I'm not that um, well versed ab- about the actual practice. If you could just sure. share with us what that looks like, because mm-hmm. I, I'm beyond interested. I've been wanting to even talk to you about it before, but it just seems like Absolutely. every time I've had the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to. Of course, it's something that I, of course, love to talk about. I, I base my whole life around teaching around it. Uh-huh. So Ifa is a tradition that comes out of West Africa from the Yoruba-speaking peoples of West Africa, and it spread to the diaspora during the transatlantic slave trade. And also mm-hmm. later now, we've had more direct connection with the continent and more people kind of going there in order to connect with it and become initiated and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as beliefs go, believe in one God that we call Olodumare and believe that there are emissaries of that God who are called Orisha who represent different aspects of nature, different philosophical archetypes, you might liken them in ways to to angels or saints. Um, Mm. And in fact, it was that um, analogy between the Orisha and the saints that led to the tradition's survival in the Caribbean because it became syncretized with Catholicism in the Caribbean by and large. And so for example, uh, one of the Orishas that we call Shango got associated with Santa Barbara and the Orisha that we call Obatala became associated with St. Peter, right? And so there were all of um, the Orishas became associated, uh, Obatala is also associated with Jesus. Right? Mm. And so all of these associations allowed our ancestors to continue practicing their own traditions under the cover of appearing to practice Catholicism. And the tradition also spread to places that weren't Catholic, but it was most uh, intact, maintained in Cuba and Brazil, both of which are Catholic countries. And so um, from the time of about the 50s, after the Cuban Revolution, that's really when the tradition found its way into the United States. It didn't Mm. really come directly. And so most people in the United States, Black Americans who practice the tradition, actually got it by way of Cuba. And so there's a big connection between Black Americans and Cubans. A lot of it came through music and dance, um, Catherine Dunham and folks like that who were bringing um, different dance troops from, from Cuba and from other parts of the diaspora to the states. So art, food, dance, all of these things have been intertwined in the practice of this tradition, and it spreads throughout the diaspora. That is so like amazing and interesting. So I guess for me, because I'm like, now we're going down this actual, uh, uh, I, I guess I call it like a rabbit hole. So as this relates to African tradition and Christianity um, in terms of how Black Americans have always been like in, in the practice of practicing Christi- Christianity, right? Um, I know in my family, there were things that my family did do, but they always thought of it in a negative connotation. And it was like voodoo or whatever. And it's like, what does that, I guess for me, because I never really asked my family that did practice, you know, those things, because we were just kind of told like, don't mess with them. They're doing their thing. 
You know what I'm saying? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. African spirituality has been maligned since the time we got here. So here's the thing. We weren't Christians when we came here. Right. right. We came with our own traditions. We came, some of us had already been uh, converted to Islam. So some of the people who came were Muslim, which is one of the reasons why groups like the Nation of Islam came to be and saw Islam as a more ancient religion of black folks, not realizing that even that had come in and taken over the local traditions. And mm-hmm. so we came with our traditions. We came as Congo people, as you know, uh, Yoruba people, as people from all different parts of the continent with our traditions. And we maintained our traditions, mm. not in the same wholesale kind of way that the Orisha tradition got preserved in, in Cuba. And there are reasons for that. But absolutely, we have in the US what's called hoodoo. And right. hoodoo is what encompasses our African spiritual traditions. And a lot of hoodoo practice actually got encoded into the church. So even as we look at um, things like the ring shout, even as we look at certain types of charismatic practice, the singing and dancing and speaking in tongues and all of these types of things that speak to spirit possession, that comes from our African heritage. Those things aren't a part of Christianity proper they have become associated with Christianity, but Mm. they're not, they don't come from Christianity. Even the way that we preach and our call and response, all of those things actually come from our African practices. But as you mentioned, African spirituality, because of white supremacy, because of um, the Christocentric focus of this country and the imposition of this tradition onto us, there has been uh, a lot of uh, malignment of anything that was African or of anything mm-hmm. that came before. It's called heathenism, it's called devilish, it's called all of these things. Even the term voodoo is a an attempt to make another tradition spooky, right? The uh, voodoo is actually the way that it's pronounced in terms of Haitian voodoo, which mm-hmm. is the tradition that people are usually referring to when they say voodoo. But even the spelling of that um, at the Americanized spelling with the four O's was meant to kind of um, take away from what the tradition actually was and create this sort of spooky type of energy around it and to say that it's something evil or that it's bad or that it's only used to hurt people or things of that nature, none of which is true, right? right. Water can hurt people, people can drown, but we don't say that water is evil, right? right. Anything can hurt someone if used in that way. Christianity has hurt many people, right? Because of the way that it's been used, not because of necessarily it itself. And so um, one of my uh, crusades, I'll say, because it's that serious for me as an activist has been to really educate, especially black folks about our own traditions, to educate us about African spirituality, to let us know that it is not in any way evil, that it is not in any way bad, that it was actually actively taken away from us and presented as something bad in order to take away our power. Because Mm. this, for any people, their spiritual practices and the things that reflect their own power is where they are able to draw the force to act in the world. And of course, if you wanna enslave people, right? If you want to keep them subjugated, you're not gonna want them to have anything that uplifts them or that makes them feel powerful. You're only, even when they gave the Bible to enslave people, they only gave them certain portions, right? Right. That would further um, make them feel that it was okay that they were enslaved. Mm. And so all of that, 
um, you know, is something that I uh, very much work against, right? And that I teach against and that I really, I also, you know, I'm, I'm not one to, um, I'm also very careful as well not to denigrate our practice of Christianity as black folks and understand that many of us who adopted Christianity adopted it because we were able to see these similarities and congruences with our own traditions. And so this idea of Jesus, for example, as the healer, as the one who set things right, as the one who calls for the highest moral character in saying, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, that example ties right in with Ifa, where our tradition tells us that it's character we seek first. That good mm. character is the highest virtue that any person could have. And that as long as you have good character, that's going to be your protection. That's going to be what helps to carry you through life, right? And so they saw these similarities, not only with the Yoruba tradition, but with all of their traditions and were able to take what they needed in order to empower themselves with what they had. That is so beautiful to me, like seriously, because, and it's refreshing hearing it from you and like knowing that what I saw as a child might not have been a negative thing that these people were doing, you know what I'm saying? And so- Not at I, all. And and the thing about it, I mean, not to, I didn't mean to cut you off, no, but I just, fine. I get so excited about this. Because, I love this. <laughs> you know it's your family it's people right. who love you right you know them every day what why would they all of a sudden be doing something bad or evil or negative right, right? like why where would that even come from to think that that's what was going on like the things right. that we see people doing when we see them doing rituals when we see them singing songs or you know making medicines that's what they're doing is making medicines making mm -hmm. things to heal right african americans we didn't have access to doctors in many cases or to white doctors and so right. it was the root people the hoodoo men and the hoodoo women and the people who knew the herbs and things like that from the continent who were the healers and guess what even white folks would come to those folks wow. as healers at times because they knew that we knew how to survive in different uh, environments, how to survive through malaria, how to survive through these different things that Europeans really didn't know anything about. Mm. So even inoculation, all this stuff about vaccines and what have right. you, inoculation started in Africa. We were wow. the first ones to discover that if you cut the skin and introduce a little bit of a particular illness and it started off with smallpox, that that could actually prompt the body to, to defend itself. Now, they may right. not have known all the microbial terminologies at that right. time, but you just because you don't know what to call something or you don't have words for that particular thing doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. Right. Exactly. And so they knew exactly. what they were doing. And, and that got introduced here. It was actually in Boston, a man who was enslaved in Boston, um, who had came straight from the continent is who introduced the idea of inoculation to his so-called master, who right. then went and spread it to the rest of the folks trying not to let anybody know that he learned it from this enslaved man, because he felt that if they knew he learned it from him, they wouldn't want to take the knowledge. Right? right. And so understanding our brilliance as African descended people right. and particularly, you know, for our purposes around food is very, very important. We cultivated the first plants on the continent. 
We are yeah. the first people. We did the first everything. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, the vegetables, half of the foods that we eat here in the States, especially the ones that are considered American, that are very much connected here, came from the continent. Right. right. And especially a lot of those things that we as African Americans eat. And so really, you know, like I said, for me, it's a really important thing to just highlight and uplift the contribution that Africans have made to this world, both spiritually, in terms of food, in terms of art, in terms of culture, in every way. That is amazing. Oh, gosh, I love this. I'm just like, lit, like on every word you're saying right now. No, uh, no I'm serious. It's like, wow, you know? It's what I love. It's what I love. And, and it shows. Like, it. I mean, just you just lighting up from just talking about this. And I'm, I'm like right there with you. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Because it's like so many things that I, and I'm pretty sure other people too are feeling this as well. It's like, I would have never known this information and it never would have been probably presented because it's just not popular information right. it's to intentional share. it's intentional right. it's not even i'll go a step further you know because i don't mind being the <laughs> the revolutionary and saying I'm it's not it. even it's not left out it is intentionally suppressed mm. in order to make us believe that we have not contributed anything to the world Right. In order to make us believe that we were just there waiting for someone to pick us up and enslave us and mm. that we did not have anything going on before we got introduced to everything here and right. nothing could be further from the truth. Right. So in terms of the Aoife culture, I mean, the Aoife um, actual spirituality practices, how did you come to actually say, okay, this is the actual practice that's for me? You know what mm -hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it was really through attending, um, so I'll go back. The first experience that I ever had with African spirituality, period, actually was in Ghana and with the Akan tradition. And I took a trip to Ghana um, through a study abroad, and as it turned out, the professor who I was um, traveling with was a priestess in the Ifa tradition, although I didn't know that at the time that I booked the trip. I didn't know anything about any of this. Right. And so when we were there, we went to the Black and White Shrine, which is a famous shrine in Kumasi, and they were doing a ritual. And when I tell you that I entered the space and it was like every molecule in my body just lit up. Right, like I started sweating. I'm sweating now, so I know I'm talking right because I start to sweat. Right, all the the water starts to come out my body when I'm excited, and so yeah. I was like, you know, just and it wasn't hot like that. I just literally started sweating. Tears started coming down, and the wow. professor looked over at me and she was like, "Oh, okay, let let's get you back. Like the energy is is affecting you a little bit too much at this moment, especially because right. you don't really know what's going on." Right. So she took me back and, you know, we did some things. I, I actually got to talk to the priest and what have you. And by the time I left that trip, I was like, yeah, this is what I've been looking for, right? African spirituality, like this is what I have been seeking, what my soul has been seeking. Because as mm -hmm. you know, I was raised Christian and I always enjoyed church right i enjoyed right. the pageantry i enjoyed the singing i enjoyed the communalism and all of those things but the theology i was like mm, 
I don't like this. I don't like this idea that women brought sin into the world. I don't like this idea right. that anybody who doesn't believe this thing is somehow damned. I don't like these things. And so right. that, those things never resonated in my spirit. And I said, well, I will one day something will resonate in my spirit in that way. I, I didn't go the route where, you know, a lot of people go when they re if they reject church or they reject whatever uh, tradition they were raised with, often people can go to the, well, there is no God or to the atheism right. side. And that was never it for me. I was like, no, I feel something. I know there's something out there. Now. I'm feeling the spirit, but I don't feel it the way that I'm being told right. what's being presented to me. And so it wasn't until, and so I always was into um, the earth, you know, I was that kid that always wanted to stay in the water all day long, would collect right. rocks and shells and play with bugs and, you know, climb trees and do all of these kind of things. And so definitely I was like, you know, whatever it is, there's going to be this reverence for the earth. There's going to be something that I feel. And so when I went to Ghana and had that experience, that was the first time that I really felt that. And I was like, okay, this mm -hmm. is it. So how do I get it now? You know, <laughs> who do I talk to? Where do I sign up? You know, right. kind of thing. And so when I got back to the States, as it turned out, I mean, and tell you how spirit works, I was in school at the time and I got back to school and one of the classes that I had registered for the teacher was a priestess in this tradition. What? <laughs> right. What are the odds? And so I was like, wait, what? Like you, who, what? <laughs> Right. Are you serious? I was like, yeah, I really wanted to get into this. And so she became my first teacher. She was the first one who began to kind of really teach me about the tradition, um, took me around to things. Um, shout out to her, uh, Ia Dr. Gloria Rodriguez. Um, she took me around to, to different um, events in the community, introduced me to folks and things like that to begin with. And that was my first foray down the path. And mm -hmm. ultimately, um, I ended up going to Nigeria to do my initiations. So I have spiritual family there. Um, Fwape Olatunji, they shout him out, Baba, uh -huh. who's my, uh, the, my Oluwo, as it's called, the one who initiated me there. And then um, after becoming initiated, I came back and connected with another teacher here, uh, Baba Oluwo Leifakunle, who's been my um, spiritual mentor and master teacher since my initiation. And so that's kind of like the abbreviated version, but you know, I basically came to it through a deep experience. You know, mm -hmm. after once I felt that feeling, I was like, okay, this is what it is that I was looking for. And now I was just open and I was hungry and I wanted to go to every festival I could go to and I wanted to, you know, learn everything I could and I, you know, got all the books that I could get and that's where ultimately I wanted to study the tradition. And so mm -hmm. that's actually what led me to do the PhD because I wasn't, I didn't really have doing a PhD on my radar like that right. until after I did, you know, my initiation. And I said, huh, all right, if I do a PhD, they can pay for me to travel and study right. what I want to study and all of that. And so it worked out beautifully. It really, really did. So the transition to, you know, practicing this spiritual practice and then this prompting your PhD, how did that then formulate into you uh, studying the cola nut? You know what I'm saying? Like how did, you know? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's, it's, of course, it's a sordid tale with many ups and downs and twists and turns. <laughs> right. But very shortly, you know, um, ultimately, of course, anyone who's doing a PhD, you have to find a focus, you know, something right. that is 
big enough that will sustain a whole research project, but specific enough that you'll actually be able to do it in the allotted time. And so one of the things that I'm very much interested in is communication, right? I've Mm. always been a communicator. I'm a talker, love to tell jokes, act, all of those things. And so um, I was looking at divination or what's often called readings or how we communicate with the divine and the types of um, words that are used around that, the types of practices, etc. And one thing that began to strike me, you know, I spent a total of 18 months in Nigeria doing research, going to, you know, different shrines, going to festivals, just being around people practicing the culture. And the kola nut was something that was like hidden in plain sight. It was Mm. literally every single ritual, every single festival, every single everything, the kola nut was at the center of it. And I was like, hmm. This is interesting, right? Like nobody's, and I would be looking up things about it. There's no books that have been written about it in the spiritual context as yet. A few articles, there's been a lot more writing on it actually as a food item because one of the things about the kola nut is that it, um, it is one of the few plants like coffee that has naturally occurring caffeine. And this was one of the interests of the um, Europeans who enslaved Africans in order to keep them working, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. something that you could eat that would give you energy without you having to eat more food, right? And it would stave off hunger so you could potentially eat less, have more energy and all of those types of things. So they began bringing it along with enslaved people over here and trying to cultivate it, although it didn't really take off. The only place um, that it really uh, cultivated, and it's actually a different species than the one that I talk about in the book, but um, is in Jamaica. They call Mm. it busy nut, because they keep you busy. (laughs) (laughs) And um, And so as I looked at this, I said, wow, this is really fascinating. Like literally every single ritual that I attend, we're using this colon to communicate with the divine. And no one has written about this. And so that's really what led me down the path. Um, At first I was really kind of looking at um, the divine communication in a little more of an abstract way. And then, you know, as I began to focus in on the colon, I said, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be my focus because this is, you know, really where I can, I have a character to tell a story about now. Right. Because the kola nut is considered a feminine entity, right? And so the one that we use for divination in particular is called Iyaobi, which means the mother kola. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that just go into even the, the mythology around how the kola got to earth and all of these different types of things really really fascinated me and the fact of course i'm i'm very much interested in of course women's practices and gender and sexuality and these things and women are the ones who are said to um that should sell cola so all of the historically and traditionally the people that sold cola that brought it to the marketplace i mean well market people period were women traditionally but the cola nut in particular there are verses in our spiritual scriptures that say that it's women who should have the cola, that it's women who should sell the cola and things of that nature. So it drew me in. It drew me in. I love that. And it and let me, I'll just add quickly too that yeah. another very interesting part of me writing about cola is that in the tradition, in our spiritual tradition, um, when we become initiated, we get 
we, we may get what are called taboos or things that we cannot uh, do. Can't, you know, certain colors maybe that you can't wear or foods that you can't eat or things like that. Right. The cola nut is my taboo. So <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I cannot eat it. I've never tasted it. Right. Really? I received it as a taboo during my initiation before I even really knew what it was. Right. And, you know, there's an adage in Ifa that tells us that the things that are our taboo may actually become our medicines at some point, which is why we don't want to, like, desensitize ourselves to it. And so the cola has, in a way, become like my intellectual medicine, right? The thing that I can't ingest, but that all of my scholarship is based around. That is so... So you were given the taboo after you started this whole process with your, um, with, with your PhD. No, no, for before, before. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, before. It was actually like the first thing that happened when I got to Nigeria you know, went through my initiation, I was told, you know, they held one up and said, look, don't eat this. This is your taboo. And I was like, okay, I don't even know what that is. So (laughs) no problem. And then (laughs) I came to find out how central it actually was to all the rituals and the fact that during the course of ritual, you actually do eat it. So people Mm. would be passing it around and I'm like, oh, this is that thing they said for me not to eat, you know? So my attention was already on it. I think, which is why when it came time for me to do the writing and when it came time for me to really dive deeper into my research, it came back to the forefront to me. Like, oh, this thing that I can't eat, but y'all eat it every day and y'all work with it every day. And so, and I still have to use it for my practice, but I just, right. uh, I don't ingest can't it. Can't ingest it. Okay. And so that's what I was going to ask. Like, so when you are given a taboo, um, is it, like, are there multiple people like in the practice that have the same taboo or how does that oh, work? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. The taboos come as a result of uh, what we call Odu or our spiritual scriptures or the readings that govern mm-hmm. each person's life. So imagine, and in Hoodoo actually, there's a, there is a practice of this where people will pray and, and a certain scripture might become their life scripture, right? right. So we have that practice is a little more formalized um, through what we call Odu. And so based on the particular scripture or Odu that governs a person's life, that's what actually indicates what their taboos will be and things of that nature. So of course, if people have the same uh, Odu governing their life, they could have the same taboos or there are similar taboos that exist in different scriptures. So that's how it's, uh, how it's indicated. That is, wow, that is so fascinating. I love this. Like I am just, I'm, I'm almost glad. like you gotta come take some of my classes and I was, dive I'm even serious. deeper. I, yes, I, I definitely will because I'm just sitting here like in awe. I'm like, I just feel like I have learned. I know nothing. <laughs> I'm being honest. Because yeah. it's, well, we don't know what we don't know, right? Right. And that's the whole thing. Most of us don't know. I didn't know until right. I knew, right? right? Because this information has been hidden from us it's been kept from us our ancestors who maintained these traditions did so under the threat of death there were laws against practicing our traditions like literally people were executed for practicing these traditions and being found out because as i said these are our sources of power and when you're trying to keep someone in subjugation you do not want them to have anything that gives them power that's your biggest threat is them feeling empowered Right. Their biggest threat is us feeling empowered. And right. so everything, and including food, 
right? Including having us feel like or think that, oh, veganism is some white stuff. Uh, hello, we cultivated the vegetables first. How could <laughs> eating vegetables be white people's stuff? The vegetables don't even grow in Europe. Come on, right. stop it. You right. know what I'm saying? But right. these ideas have been perpetuated to have us believe that we are don't haven't contributed and that we should be on this low vibration all the time and that we haven't contributed anything high vibrational to the world and everything that is high vibrational in the world has come from us because we are the original people and you know that is something so i have like two things but i definitely want to say this before i forget so the vibrational component that has been like almost like <laughs> yeah, a, a it's uh, been a joke <laughs> Right. It's, it's kind of like this now popular thing. Everyone's trying to vibrate higher. Like hash, you see all these hashtags, hashtag right. vibrate higher, this, that, and the other. And I feel like a lot of people that I follow on social media, like particularly like African-Americans, they're coming into something. Like they're not really, they're, they don't know, but they're seeking out this high vibration status, right? But don't know how to access it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it's by way of Christianity, and it's not anything to say Christianity is terrible or anything like that, but we have, at least in the religion I grew up in, there was never the opportunity to really talk about being on a vibrational wavelength and actually seeking high vibration or your in-law lower vibrational state. Does, is that something in the Aoife, um like traditions and, and spirituality, actually talk spirituality practices that's actually um, a part of the education component? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, we may not use, you know, the term vibrational, right? But what we right. have what we call ashe. So ashe okay. is life force. Ashe is the power to make things happen. Ashe is uh, vital energy. And so absolutely a big part of what we do, the reason why we do rituals and all the things that we do is to elevate our ashe, right? Is mm. to bring our energy up to a level where we can use it, right? Where we have good empowerment. And so I think definitely you see a lot of that in Christianity as well, but it gets talked about differently, right? right. So people will talk about having Christ consciousness or being closer to Christ, right? right? And really the thing about it is that Christ, you know, as we know from, from study is a title, right? And so Christhood talks about a certain level of vibration a certain mm. level of consciousness, right? Yeshua is the person, but Christ is a title that talks about a certain type of spiritual cultivation. And so when even, you know, and I talk about this a lot because I still have resonances with Christ consciousness that when Jesus said, I am the way and I'm the light, he wasn't talking about worshiping him. Yes. He was talking about being on the level of Christ consciousness that he's on. Right. And of, of raising our consciousness to that level. That's really what was being talked about so that we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves mm. so that we can heal people who have afflictions so that we can exist in this space of being nonjudgmental and be only cast in stones if we've never sinned. Right. Right. Those are the the it's the Christ consciousness that allows us to do those things. 
And so that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking right. about vibration. He's talking about raising consciousness. Right, right. And so it's the same thing in Ifa. It's the same thing in every spiritual tradition. Right. In Hinduism, they call it prana, right? Where we try to, or kundalini, right? Where we mm. try to raise our energy and we do different breathing exercises and hand positions and bodily positions. That's where yoga comes from to try right. to um, cultivate our energy to flow in particular ways. In Ifa, we do it through ritual. We do it through chanting and singing and dancing. This is one of the ways that we, those are some of the ways that we raise our vibration. I, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm just like, more, 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 more. Like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. So I was going to go back to, so when you actually have like different spiritual practices, is you you were saying like food is incorporated oh yeah and then what everything. types of foods are actually involved in the spiritual uh rituals that take place in in your religion Ooh, i'm glad you asked this is one of my favorite topics okay Yay. so <laughs> first of all i love to eat okay and i love to cook and i love food right. so food you know when we talk about let, let's take a step back even before we get to the spirituality and just talk about hospitality mm. as an african uh philosophical concept right hospitality is very important in african cultures feeding people and as you know in black american cultures too when people right. come they say oh have you eaten let me cook you something let me give you something right people always right. want to feed you and so food and nourishment because without food we die and right. so food really represents life force and vital energy it also represents our own energy because most of all the foods that we eat today we have to use our own energy to cultivate them Right, And so it represents the energy that we put in to cultivation, as well as the energy that we exchange amongst ourselves to keep our societal and communal bonds going. We know that exile traditionally meant death. If people were exiled from the community, you didn't have access to food. You didn't have access to those feasts. And this is why feasting is such a huge practice in so many different traditions, because this idea of abundant food is like you know we're doing well we're using our energy well and it is traditional to offer some of that food to whatever divinities um, a group may may worship or may interact with right and so in ifa we use many 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 different foods most of them are the traditional foods that grow in that part of nigeria so one of the most common foods that we use is the white yam which is um i will mention that the white the african white yam is the reason why people in the diaspora call sweet potatoes yams because yeah. our ancestors saw the sweet potato and it looked like a yam yeah so we're right. the ones that started calling it that even though what what we call yam here is actually a sweet potato and the yam african yam is white and start very, much more starchy right so we use that we use black eyed peas, we use plantains, we use okra, we use um, everything, sugar cane, corn, wow. watermelon, any any edible food, basically, you can right. be offered to some, some shrine, because whatever we can eat, they can eat. And again, it's a symbolic representation as well of the energy of cultivation. And so mm. we actually have divinities as well who are related to cultivating the land. So we have a divinity called Orishaoko, who is the Arisha of the farm, the Arisha of cultivation, and his whole energy is about making the land grow, 
right, to make sure that we have food, to make sure that we're able to eat. And so we do rituals to him um, to, in, to bless the land, to ensure that it will always be fruitful, to ensure that we will always have food. And a part of the rituals that we do is giving portions of the first harvest to him, you know, mm. dedicating, offering them to his shrines and things like that. Um, porridge, all kind of everything, right? right. Um, and then we do a lot of um, ancestral veneration. That's actually the very first uh, step into any African spiritual practice is honoring our ancestors. And so as we do that, we tend to offer foods to our ancestors that we know they liked. So there's some, what I got over here, I got some some grapes and some bacon <laughs> on my altar right now that they eating on and enjoying. Basically everything that I eat, I offer a small portion of it to my ancestors every day. And now that's literally what I was gonna ask you, like how often do, so every day, whatever you eat, you offer it to the ancestors. Yes. So I guess for me, because here's the thing, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so in that practice, the idea of ancestors or spirits beyond death, that's not a thing. Right. It's frowned upon and as it is in many aspects of Christianity. Although it's interesting because of course, and, and of course this is one of the reasons we had the Protestant Reformation and why there's Protestantism and Catholicism because Catholicism still um, holds for the um, life after death, so to speak, in the right. sense of venerating saints and things like that. Saints are basically deified ancestors, in mm. a sense. And so Catholicism still holds room for that, whereas Protestantism said, nah, we not having that no more. And so that was one of the big things that was a big difference in practice that caused the split. Right. And so definitely in most Protestant denominations, you will see that um, and again, this was a, re a way to cut us off from what was most important to us because we are ancestral venerating people to mm. say, no, your ancestors are gone. There's no ancestral veneration. You know, just only focus on Jesus or only focus on this thing that we're giving you. And so, again, mm -hmm. taking away a big base of our power. But that is so, that for me is like so um, profound because as a child, I always felt like there has to be more. And th these people, even though physically they're not here, there are moments, there are dreams that I have. And I'm like, I just mm -hmm. can't think that this is it. Right. 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 Well, and if we say that there's God and if we say that there's heaven, right, how I mean, some of the ways, even if we think about some of what we're taught, it doesn't add up. If, if right. a spirit can exist in heaven or go to this place that we call heaven, then how can you then say spirits don't exist or nothing happens after we die if we can go to this place and be tortured or be rewarded, then right. spirits got to be somewhere. Somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that, thank you for that. Like, seriously, mm -hmm. that is something that, and even still now with me, and I wanted to ask you as well, like, I mean, I don't really practice any type of religion. Like I, you know, as I did growing up, I'm still on a journey with that too, along with my whole eating situation. But was that a hard transition for you to kind of like remove yourself? I mean, maybe you haven't completely removed yourself from Christianity, but was that a hard transition for you? Um, or is that something that you still kind of like deal with? Um, 
I would say it is. There's two answers to this. So right. I will say there was not a transition in the sense that I never internalized Christian theology. Okay. Right. Whenever I never, I never went forward and got baptized or did any of those things uh-huh. because from a very young age, I was like, mm, this doesn't quite ring true to me. Right. So I'm going to just enjoy the practice, but I'm not going to take myself deeper into it. But right. I'm, I've always loved spirituality, period. So I've read the Bible. I've read the Torah. I've read the Quran. I've read right. the Upanishads, you know, all the sacred right. texts in the world that I could read. I've read them. Um, and things of that nature. And so, you know, in that sense, it was easy for me because I had Mm. never internalized a lot of the ideas that can keep people sometimes locked in and unable to shift. Right. Um, And then on the other hand, I actually embrace my background in the church. Yeah. Because I recognize that for African-Americans, Christianity became our venue for our own spiritual practices right Mm -hmm. so even if i don't necessarily um resonate with christian theology i resonate with gospel music right and i resonate with the preaching homiletics and i resonate with these things that when i trace them back i see oh these are the African things in the church that I'm right. resonating with, right? I'm resonating mm-hmm. with our speech patterns. I'm resonating with our storytelling. I'm resonating with our praise and worship. I'm resonating with the Holy Spirit coming down and right. us having um, in, um, uh, possess, spirit possession, which is right. something that's very big in Ifa as well. And so, you know, those things still resonate a lot with me. And if you listen to how I deliver uh, my talks every Sunday. I mean, I hold, I'm a pastor, basically. Right. <laughs> I have church every Sunday, right? <laughs> and I prayer and meditation every Sunday morning. And when you listen to how I speak, you can't hear me speak and not hear the black church in right. how I speak. You know what I mean? And so um, I think that there is a way that I have embraced our practice of church or what my uh, one of my uh, students, Jade T. Perry, calls churchiness, Right. And she said, churchiness doesn't mean Christianity. Mm. Churchiness is embodying those aspects of the black church that come from our Africanity. Right. Mm. And not necessarily that doesn't necessarily have to coincide with accepting the whole of Christian theology. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I think I know for me that, like I said before, that was always a struggle for me to kind of like step away completely from the idea of everything I learned in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And there's nothing, I don't want to take away anything from that because I did learn a lot, even just down to the health practices and things of that nature. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like- But there's also a lot that's very restrictive. I mean, the only way that we can be honest about this is by being honest about it and saying, look, there are things that are good. There are things that have sustained us. There are things that- empower us on a certain level but then there are other things that are extremely restrictive there are other things that were meant to try to control us um there are other things that are exclusionary both to people of other faiths both to lgbtq people both to people of differing abilities i mean there's all kinds of things that come out um that you know we have to question and right. the only way that we can really have a healthy relationship with anything is being able to question it. 
right? And that's one of the things that I love about Ifa too, because there is no just do this. Ifa mm-hmm. tells us that we would rather throw away every shrine that we have than to ever throw away our own head. Wow. Right? So it comes back to us and our discernment as people to say, look, you know what's right and what's not right. Right. It comes back to you and it comes back to your responsibility as a human being. And in order for us to work properly as human beings, we have to cultivate the ashe, as we talked about, and raise that vibration and make sure that we're operating at a level that our head is able to lead us where we need to go and and able to discern the things that we should follow from the things that we shouldn't but there's no um you know it's this way or the highway and you only do this and this is why people ask me all the time you know if i come into ifa does that mean that i can't be christian anymore or i can't be muslim anymore or i can't Mm -hmm. be and i said no the whole reason why christianity was even able to come into Europe, land and other parts of Africa the way it did is because we've always been religiously plural. We look mm. at somebody's tradition and we say, oh, okay, that could work for us too. Come right. on, right? We could put Jesus over here with Obatala and Oshun and all the rest of them and right. they good, right? There's no like, you have to just do this and that's it. We don't, right. We've never had that as an attitude. Africans are pragmatists. We do what mm. works. We're like, if it's working, right. we gonna try it. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're not so committed to what we're doing, even if it's not working. I actually just told a story about this this morning. We're not so committed to what we're doing that even if it's not working or even if we see something else that works better, we're going to say, oh, I can never try that because it's not what I do. We right. say, well, let me see how I can incorporate that into what I'm doing. Right. And that's like the right. most African attitude you can have. You know, this is, I'm thinking about my mother who uh, who has passed on, but it's so funny growing up. Like I said, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but she would go to church anywhere. Like mm-hmm. if, if, and I'm not even joking. And she would just let people know. She's like, wherever God is, that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm at. Look, <laughs> me and mama, E by A, right in peace to her spirit. Cause that's me. I can go anywhere in the world. I'm going to go to a Hindu temple. I'm going right. to go to the indigenous. I'm going to go to the Catholic church. I'm going to go wherever. Anywhere right. spirit is being honored, I'm there. Yes, I love that. And that's so, that's just so like like comforting to me. Because I, I would always laugh like, why does my mom, like literally she would just, if there was some type of spiritual something, she wanted to be mm-hmm. there. She's like, God is in this. I, mm-hmm. Why not? Why not go? Like That I, is I'm beautiful. Not, she was yeah. a true, and that's how you could tell a true person of God though. Right. And somebody who's a truly spiritual person and who's not just hung up on dogma. Who says, right. look, I can see the God in what everybody's doing. That doesn't right. mean I have to do it exactly how they're doing it, but I can visit. I can see right. how they're doing it. I can feel the spirit the way they feel it. Right. That's beautiful. I love that. And, you know, my parents are very much like that, too. And that's yeah. one of the things that, you know, I'm so appreciative of that they have been, you know, they are they my parents are pastors. Shout out to Reverend Ralph and Reverend Regina, Bethel Baptist Church. They're yes. so wonderful. And, you know, they really see that, too. They're, they look mm-hmm. at me and they're like, oh, OK, you're doing what we're doing on a right. different, slightly different path. But we're doing the same thing. We're both leading congregations. We're both Mm -hmm. encouraging people. We're both trying to help people live their best lives and elevate their themselves and be better. And how could that ever be a bad thing? Right. No, I love that. 
And so I was going to ask you, so in terms of you were saying there, are, uh, you have teachers. Now, do the teachers or let me let me backtrack. So Ia, the name mm-hmm. Ia, is that given to you by your teacher? Like, how, how does that work? Or is that just something that's instant? Like you just that's just a part of your name or do you have to like be taught an X amount of, or whatever to actually get the name Ia? Yeah, well, so Ia is a title, right? So anybody, any, it means mother, any woman that is initiated mm-hmm. has the right to be called Ia, regardless oh, okay. of whether she's, you know, been trained or not. Okay. Um, it's a title. And really, it's a title that could be used even if a person's not initiated. Mm-hmm. Um, we call elder women Ia as well, just mm-hmm. as a respect, kind of as we do in Black American culture that you're right. auntie or you, you know, some kind of a title mother, like in the right. church. The same kind that's where it comes from right mm. this idea of the mother's is... board and notice wow. that there's no there's only a mother's board in most churches not a father's right. board because the mothers are the ones who are the most revered as the most powerful figures as the seat of authority women were the seat of authority in our traditions and so that's why every black church you see has a mother's board Right, and it's the I am elder away women. Right now. <laughs> it's the elder women, right? And then so Funlayo um, is the name that I was given during my right. initiation. Efun Funlayo is the full name, which means Obatala has given us joy, and Obatala is the is the uh, divinity that I'm initiated to. And mm-hmm. so typically, when a person undergoes initiation, they'll be given a name that's related to their orisha. So. Mm. Um, there's another name, for example, Eshu B, a person who is initiated to Eshu might get that name, which means Eshu gave birth to me, right? Mm. And so every name has a meaning that's cr- connected to the spirit to which one is initiated. So you can have the name and then also the title of Ia if you're a woman, or Baba is the title for a man. Oh, okay. That is, oh, this, you know, that's so, I'm just like blown away because the whole motherboard thing, I was like, Yes. And even the hats and things, right? When we look at, you see what I'm wearing, what we call yes. gele or head wrap, mm-hmm. that is where church hats, right? The tradition of church hats yes. came from our head wraps and our head adornments on the continent. Again, you only see black women do this. This right. is not something that comes from Christianity. This is something that comes from our African heritage of adorning ourselves. And you see that only women of certain status can come into the church with them big hats on, right? right? Because, and the same thing in our traditions, the bigger your head wrap, the more cloth that you had on your head wrap, the the higher your status and those types of things. So all of that, the oil anointings, right? All of those kinds of things come from our traditions. I am just sitting here in awe because everything you're saying, like all that was happening in the church, like Mm -hmm. even the wearing of white. Right, wearing white, the wearing of the same color for events, right? Uh-huh. Those kinds of things. We uh, in Yoruba they call that ashoebi or family cloth. That right. whenever there's an event, everybody will wear the same pattern cloth, and we've adopted that. You see in the black church, okay? Everybody's gonna wear orange next Sunday, or everybody's gonna wear blue. Same. That's same. where that practice comes from. This is ah. Uh... I think it's also, it's just warming my heart too, because I, I don't know much about like my African, obviously like most, you know, African-Americans, the actual African side of who I am. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm just literally sitting here just like, oh my goodness, just blown away. 
because I mean, but that also would require me, and it is for me to actually start learning more, obviously. And I'm going to now after we've talked because I'm just like, I can't stop now. You know how happy you're making me to hear that. I'm ready to have you, you know, and that's how I felt when I first started learning about these things. I mean, like I said, I've always been into spirit, uh, spirituality and things. And I actually, um, the first uh, non-Christian tradition that I really practiced was actually Hinduism. I Mm. got connected with Shiva and I had a whole devotion and I would chant and I would wear my bindi and I had an altar and all of these things. And he is actually who led me ultimately to African spirituality because I was like, okay, I'm doing this and this is great. And I still have an altar for Shiva in here right now. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, what, what were Africans doing? Where's the African mm, spirituality? Right. And that's really what led me. I said, okay, I've studied Hinduism. I've studied Taoism. I've seen what the Chinese do. I've seen what the Native Americans do. We had stuff we did too. So where right. is that? And that's right. what led me down the path of seeking African spirituality on an intellectual level to begin with. Right. This is just, I am just, oh, this is so beautiful. Like mm. it really is. Like, this is probably one of the, like, one of the most special conversations I've had in a long time because, no, seriously, because it's just really touching a place of like, where you've just been questioning who you are as a person, mm. right? Um, and yeah, where you it was, come and from. the thing is that it, it was intentional. And once we realize that, that's mm-hmm. the part that allows us to push it off and say, okay, these things were intentionally hidden from me. So I don't mm-hmm. have to feel no way about not knowing it. It's intentional that I didn't right. know these things. Right. And now I have the freedom and the ability to learn them. And so, you know, like I said, that's one reason why I've had to really dedicate myself to being one to teach my people. You know, I have my yeah. own uh, online institute, Ashe Ire University, where I teach courses in um, African spirituality. I teach Yoruba language. I bring in other teachers to teach courses. I'm going to have a course on Black Islam this year. We're going to have a course on Black religion and film. We've had a course on African and diasporic art and on um, Orisha practice specifically. So many different things to bring people just like you and just like all of the rest of the folks in the Ashei Ray family who are new to learning about these things, you know, giving them a place to come and learn and create community together. And that's that's my life, it's my life and I love it. This is beautiful. And so everything that was just mentioned, it will be in the show notes, especially if you are like me right now, like I need more, I need more. This will all be in the, I'm serious. This is going to be in the show notes because this is so important Mm -hmm. for people. And even if you aren't um, someone of African descent, you, we all need to be educated Absolutely. There are universal truths in all of this. Just like black folk have been learning about Greek and Chinese and all these other philosophies, right. other people can learn about African philosophy because, right. and many people do. There are non-black people who are initiated into these traditions. Mm. There are non-black people who are professors um, teaching on these traditions. And so there are absolutely universal truths that come through these traditions. And um, I did want to also mention, you know, because I'm a scholar, I got to give you a couple of books. Yes. Especially on the food aspect, because I know that's what you focus on here. Um, a great, great, great book for everybody to check out is called In the Shadows of Slavery, mm. Africa's Botanical Legacy. 
And this talks about exactly what I spoke about a little earlier about all the different plants and uh, food items that were brought to the Americas along with Africans. And mm-hmm. I mean, the list is huge. I mean, black eyed peas, watermelon, the type of hibiscus we make sorrel from, ackee, all of these different things that we think of, you know, perhaps as being black American foods or Caribbean foods, plantains and bananas, right? right? All of these things, although plantains and bananas didn't um, originate in Africa, we cultivated 43 different varieties of plantain on the continent and 23 different varieties of banana. So all of the varieties of banana and plantain that came here came from the continent post African cultivation, right? And so, so many different items that have come from the continent that influence certain types of spinach, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, sesame, right? All of these kinds of things um, that either originate from the continent or were meaningfully cultivated there and and genetically uh, engineered there. Please, Mm -hmm. I want to mention this too, because (laughs) I know this idea of genetic engineering gets a bad name because we're thinking of it in terms of chemicals or we're thinking of it in terms of unnatural things. Human beings have been genetically engineering food since the beginning of time. Mm. We have been crossbreeding plants to get bigger. We've been crossbreeding plants to be sweeter. So apples are actually one very... um, a uh, big example of this, if you look right. at an ancient apple, you couldn't even bite it. They were so hard and they were so bitter. And right. so it was humans who cross-pollinated, cross-bred, did all these things to cultivate the apples that we have now. No, that today. Softer and sweeter and all of that. Right. Same thing with broccoli, all these different uh, things that were not natural, so to speak, right. but that human beings cultivated over time and that became naturalized. And so I just want us to be careful about kind of unilaterally a thinking that something is negative just right that and also be taking the african out of it because we are the ones who began all of this genetic engineering we're the ones who began splicing these plants and saying let's make them bigger let's make more starch in this this will be better to eat if it's like this let's put these Mm. two together that we see already grow big and make them even better Right. And that's what they did with the bananas, the plantains and watermelons and other plants. I, I'm speechless right now. Like, seriously, because I mean, I knew some of this information, but by way of it just being started in 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 Africa, I'm just like, wow. Yeah, we started all of that. We started those things. Right. And so and we have been doing them for forever, forever mm-hmm. and ever. Most of the grains um the 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 uh diversity of grain right Right. africans probably eat some of the most diverse grains on the planet we eat sorghum millet rice every kind of grain you can find somewhere on the continent amaranth teff right Mm -hmm. all of these different grains that you don't see anywhere else in the world right we cultivate them we find ways to prepare them and all of those kind of things so that's one book there's another book if people are interested specifically in um food in the Orisha tradition, uh-huh. there's a book called Religion in the Kitchen. And that book actually talks about all of the different food offerings for Orisha and the importance of food. And even if a person doesn't really know too much about Orisha practice, um, they'll find it interesting, I think, as far as looking at how food and spirituality are connected and the ways that we use food in mm-hmm. our spiritual practice. 
This has been beyond a treat, a blessing, like all the things. Like I'm not even joking right now. Oh, sure. Oh, thank I'm you so, so much. So thank you, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about what I love. You see, I'm hyped. So no, I, no, I, listen, I, I am just it. hyped. I'm just, I'm just sitting down. But if I was standing up, I'd be like, whoa, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is insane and amazing. So on Sundays, can people um, access? Like, where can they actually um, access your? Uh, so is it like an actual like? Um, service or yeah absolutely we do prayer and meditation i preach a sermon and then we meditate afterwards and oh so my goodness. um absolutely everybody is invited everything the key to everything is on my website asheiray.com that is a-s-e-i-r-e.com and so from there you'll see a link to where you can subscribe to our youtube channel um mm-hmm. and where you can just explore everything that we offer Oh my goodness. And like Including I said, before, people can book personal consultations with me as well. So I do do that personal divinations or and spiritual counseling sessions as well. That is, wait a minute. I had no idea about this. This is awesome. So you said, so it's like a one-on-one, you call it divination? Right. Or what people will colloquially call a reading. So, okay. you know, I'll pray over you and then uh-huh. look in to see what the divine Uh, has to say about what's going on with your life right now so i use different tools to do that and Uh um yeah it's 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 a beautiful time and people often get a lot of good insight around what's going on in their lives i oh my goodness yes this is amazing so once again all this information that was just shared will be in the show notes beautiful oh my gosh i am thank you so much Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for opening up these conversations. Um, You know, again, it's so important, um, you know, again, just to bring it back to the food piece, as you know, and as I know is a big part of why you do this, you know, African-Americans still have some of the worst health outcomes of anyone in this country. And so much of it has to do with how we eat. Mm. Food, as Elijah Muhammad has talked about, is our medicine. Right. right. Food, we have to eat to live. Food is our medicine. And so, you know, vegetables, drinking, you know, water and all of these things. And again, recognizing that these are African ways to eat. African right. staple foods are grains and vegetables. Right. Mm-hmm. There's meat. There may be some meat or fish in it, but the majority of what's eaten is grains, is cassava, mm. is plantain, is corn, is you know, spinach or other leafy greens, ground nuts and peanuts and things of that nature, plantains. It's not, you know, dairy products and cheese. Those things are really, you don't even really find them too much on the continent like that. So, you know, healthy eating is our birthright. And Mm. we absolutely need to be more mindful of what we put in our bodies. We can't strengthen our spirits if we're still poisoning our bodies. That is such an amazing point. And I'm glad you said that because what I think people that disconnect of realizing that when your body is, if you're not, you know, actually placing proper things in your body, like fruits and vegetables and things like that. I mean, it's not to say you can't have some stuff every once in a while. You can treat yourself. Right. When you're not every day. Yeah. If it's an everyday, you know, Popeye's chicken, it's like, here we are. Like it's eventually going to, you know, manifest in heart disease, diabetes, and all right, those things. Right, and all of those things that we are the leading 
people who have it, right? right? Second leading cause of death for black women. Two black women in my family mm-hmm. who were barely, one was in her early 60s and one was barely 50, just mm. died of heart attacks. Wow. Okay? Like, this right. is serious. This is serious. serious. We have to take our health seriously. We have to take our eating habits seriously. We can't be on all these medications or right. counting on medication to do it, and then we're still eating the way we were. Like, we, you know, and I'm not vegan. I, I'm not, uh, I love my cheese and my eggs and my all of that. <laughs> right. But I make a very concerted effort to do a lot of vegan cooking, to right. incorporate vegetables into every meal, you mm-hmm. know, and all of those types of things to fast at times on, you know, juices. I tend right. to do, even though I never really called it this, but just my natural way of eating, I tend to do intermittent fasting. I don't tend to eat until usually afternoon. In the morning, okay. I'll drink some water, drink some coffee, drink some juice. And then uh-huh. I, I eat, you know, usually around noon or one for the first time. Right. And so, you know, all of these types of practices to just really um, recognize our bodies are so important and to take care of ourselves because we are temples of the divine, right? We are holy temples. We are holy and sacred ground and we absolutely have to treat ourselves that way. I cannot agree more. And uh, once again, I just, I cannot thank you enough. You all, this has been beyond amazing. And uh, I'm just, I'm just blessed right now. I really am. I really mm-hmm. am. And I hope you all are just as blessed. And I can't imagine that you weren't from listening to this actual episode. I wish we could be on longer. If you don't mind, please come back. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, anytime, anytime. I'm happy to come back. I, again, yeah. I thank you for inviting me and for all that you're doing to um, encourage and support healthy eating habits in our community. It's so important. Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that's my goal because I like I've had so many people in my family die by way of just how they were eating, really. And I just I'm I just want to see people to be educated around eating, right? And then try to do better and and to live long lives, that's long right. happy that's lives. Right. That's you right. know, seriously, seriously. Ashe, Ashe, it's one of our primary blessings. And if I we say one of our biggest blessings is aiku or a long life. And mm. so we can't do anything else if we're not here. So right. doing the things that will give us long life is one of our first spiritual duties. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you have to come back. Yes, indeed. And, and this is definitely, I'll just see you later. Because this, this I, I can't even imagine, like, not having you back on. Because there's so many other things I want to talk about. So. Absolutely. I'll look uh, forward to it. Yes. All you all, we have been blessed today <laughs> we have been beyond blessed today i am so happy you took the time to listen to this episode of the eating me podcast i will see y'all on the next episode i'm just i'm just high right now i'm like on a, an amazing high right now so thank you so much again thank you all right i'll see y'all later Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Eating Me podcast. I am so happy that you all keep coming back to listen to these awesome conversations. And so please, if you have not, please subscribe to the podcast. 
If you haven't rated or reviewed the show, please take the time to rate and review the show. These conversations mean so much to me, and I hope they mean that much to you. So definitely continue to rate and review, start rating and reviewing, and continue to share or start sharing the podcast with those that you love or those that you're trying to love. (laughs) All right, y'all. I'll see y'all in the next episode. I love you. Bye.